This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to the radio and the internet ministry of the Christian Crusaders. Today, Pastor Kramer continues his God is sermon series with today's message, God is just and gracious. How would you complete this statement, God is? Last week we learned that God is creator and owner of everything. Today we're going to fill that blank in once again as we continue our sermon series, God is. We begin our worship time in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Bless us, O God, with a reverent sense of your presence that we may be at peace and worship you with all our mind and spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first part of our reading for today is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and then we'll move to Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Chapter 3 Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Thank you. 
our story continues. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but holy lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood, Sustain me in the raging flood When all supports are washed away He then is all my hope and stay On Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteous 
stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Uh-oh, there's trouble in paradise. Things had been very good. The first two chapters of Genesis tell us that. Man and woman living in a loving relationship with God and one another. Life in the Garden of Eden, which means delight, by the way, was delightful. It was perfect. But now it's come apart. By the end of Genesis 3, the wheels have come off. We're told how it happened in the front end of that chapter. The serpent, the giving in and rebellion against God. The shame, the hiding, the judgment, the expulsion, separation from God. A tragic story. Trouble in paradise. We learn a couple important things about ourselves and our world in this story, as well as two important things about God that I'd like to share with you today. First, about ourselves. We see that we've got a problem. The couple had one commandment to keep, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent representing the devil tempts Eve first with confusion about God's word to them, and then with contradictions about God's punishment for breaking his word, and then an appeal to her ambitions to be like God, knowing good and evil. The next thing you know, she's taken a bite of the fruit, and so does Adam, and they now they've rebelled. They've messed it up. They've gone against God's authority. Suddenly, everything's shifted. Everything's wrong. They now know evil. Now they're ashamed. They look at one another and cover themselves up with fig leaves, and they run and hide away from God. The relationship is broken. And we see something about what sin is. It's disobedience against God, taking a step of independence away from him to be our own gods, which is actually idolatry. Running our own lives as we see fit, deciding for ourselves what is good and what is evil, giving in to our own selfish desires. And since the fall, all of us have this as a condition. It's in our DNA. We've inherited it from Adam and Eve. We're naturally selfish and prideful and arrogant and rebellious towards God. And this little scenario in Genesis 3 gets played out every day, even today. And we see the consequences of it that we have to live with because of sin. The whole creation was eventually, by the end of the 11th chapter of Genesis, thrown totally out of whack, shattered the whole cosmos. Broken relationships, pain, killing, suffering, murder, toil, death enters the picture. It's a mess. Our relationship with God's broken and we can't go back and fix it. We can't get back to the garden, to God. We're helplessly lost. And so we also discover a second thing in this story, not only our greatest problem, but our greatest need as human beings. Biblical scholar D.A. Carson writes, if you're a Marxist, what you need are revolutionaries and decent economists. If you're a psychologist, what you need is an army of counselors. If you think that sickness is the root of all breakdown and disorder in this world, what you want is large numbers of Mayo clinics. But if your first and foremost need is to be reconciled to God, 
a God who now stands over against us and pronounces death upon us because of our chosen rebellion, then what we need most, though we may have all these other derivative needs, is to be reconciled to God. We need someone to save us. Well, enough about us. We've got a problem. We've got a great need. It's a predicament. The important lesson, though, that I'd like to focus on today is what we're being taught about God. A couple things. First of all, God's just. We see that God takes sin seriously. He cannot and will not tolerate it. He pronounces his judgment upon the sinful Adam and Eve because he is holy and just. He does not turn a blind eye to being defiled. Now, I know this is a side of God that many people are uncomfortable with. We prefer a teddy bear type of God who just gives out warm fuzzies no matter what. But this story says that just isn't true. God loves his creation, but he hates sin. He's holy and just and punishes the ones who rebel against him. We see it in this story with Adam and Eve as as they're expelled from the garden and hear God's pronouncement of all the negative things to come. But, yes, God is just, but there's something else that I don't want you to miss here about God. We learn that God is gracious. He exercises grace towards the couple, doesn't he? His unmerited favor and love. We see that he is the God who does not wipe out rebels. Before his judgment upon them, God shows us his graciousness. Did you see it? We see it working as he looks for Adam and Eve, asks, where are you? Well, of course God knows where they are and what what they've done. He's God after all. But yet God approaches this new situation, this tragic situation, with a relational question. Where are you? They've rebelled, but he's coming after them nonetheless. The relationship matters to him. He's not written them off nor turned his back on them. And that is really quite gracious, don't you think? I'm reminded of a couple parables that Jesus told that reflect the same truth. A parable about a shepherd with a hundred sheep. When one got lost, he scoured the countryside looking for the sheep until he found them. And then he rejoiced. And then Jesus told a story about a woman who had 10 coins. When she realized one was missing, she turned the house upside down until she found it and then rejoices. And Jesus said, that's why I hang out with tax collectors and sinners, because that's what your heavenly father is like. When a sinner is found and returned home, God is looking. And during his judgment as well, we see his grace at work. First in his curse upon the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Some say this is the first bit of gospel talk in the Bible about Jesus who would come and do battle with Satan and defeat him at the cross. He would crush his head and his heel would be bitten. We also see his grace in the sparing of Adam and Eve, whom he told would die if they ate from the tree, right? And as Adam steeled himself to hear the death curse pronounced upon him, God cursed the ground instead. He deflects the curse so that it falls on the ground and not on Adam. 
The man and woman would, of course, live with the effect of that curse, frustration, experiencing toil and pain and drought and disease and death. But God is just, and the curse must go somewhere, but God still finds a way to direct the curse away from the man and the woman, and that, my friends, is grace. And think about this. Looking ahead, at the right time, God would send his Son and direct the curse for our sin upon him. That's what the cross is all about. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And then finally, we see God's graciousness after the judgment in his providing for them. He provided garments of skins for them to wear. Though they had sinned against him, God graciously took care of them and covered their nakedness and shame with a garment of animal skins, thus requiring the death of an animal to cover their nakedness. And many people see a parallel here related to the sacrificial system to atone for sin, which was later on instituted by God through Moses, and then further on shown in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross as an atonement for our sin. So we learn today not only about our sin, and how it shattered the perfect world God made, and that we've got a problem, and that uh, we can't fix it ourselves. We also have this wonderful picture of our God. He's just, but he's also gracious. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, first of all, we get a perspective on why God's once perfect world is like it is. You ever watched the world news and thought, what's wrong with this world? Well, now you know. Sin. At the beginning of the 20th century, when the editors of the Times of London asked several eminent writers of the day to contribute a piece under the theme of what's wrong with the world, Christian writer G.K. Chesterton, who was invited to write, responded, Dear Sirs, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. How true. We know that God is just and he hates sin and punishes it, but he doesn't take sin, and he doesn't take sin lightly, and neither should we. What happened in the Garden of Eden wasn't simply about rule keeping. What this is a revolution against God, a revolution with deadly consequences. And we need to be saved. And we ask the question, how do we how does this who's going to fix this predicament we're in? And that's what the rest of the Bible is about. Only God can fix this mess and rescue us from sin and death and the power of the devil. And he did. And we have to wonder why, why, why would he do that? Because, 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 you see, even in all of this, God is gracious. He doesn't wipe out the rebels. He deflects the curse from Adam and even pronounced a promise to crush the head of the evil one. Christ has done battle for us with Satan at the cross, hasn't he? He defeated him, and on the last day, Satan and evil will be destroyed once and for all. And we have this lovely picture of God clothing them with garments made of skins to cover their shame and guilt. And we know that he's provided garments for you and me as well. Robes of righteousness, making us clean in his sight. We know that we stand before our holy God and even our best actions are like filthy rags in his sight. God loves us, but he can't allow our sin into his heaven. And here's what he did. At the cross, Jesus died a sacrificial death for our sins. He paid for our sinfulness with his own blood and God raised him up again 
and those who trust him receive Christ's robe of righteousness. A great exchange takes place. He takes our rags. We get his robe and we stand clean and forgiven before God. God has taken care of our problem of sin and death. So here's a life and death question I need to ask you. It's the same question God was asking that day in the garden of Adam and Eve. Where are you? Are you walking with God, living in a restored relationship with him by grace through faith in his son, Jesus? I hope you are. And if you are, give thanks to God today for his grace. Or are you hiding from him? trying to live life on your own terms as your own God, or maybe trying to fix your life and your relationship with God in your own way. Adam and Eve tried covering their guilt and shame with fig leaves and then hiding themselves from God, but even after they came out and stood before him, they continued to hide and justify themselves by putting the blame on someone else, didn't they? Adam pointed at God and Eve. Eve pointed to the serpent, same thing happens today. We project our own guilt upon others, claiming innocence or victimization, and we refuse to own our sin and take responsibility for our disobedience, and we pretend we're really innocent, we don't need help. But none of us is innocent, and all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we need help. And I want you to consider today these true life-restoring words from First John. It goes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Stop your hiding. Come out, come out, wherever you are. God's forgiveness and grace and robe of righteousness is waiting for you because of what he's done for you through Jesus Christ, his son. And this study of Genesis 3 reminds me of another story that Jesus told about a rebellious son who was tired of taking orders from his father. He wanted to be his own boss. So one day he left his father in his home and he took with him his part of the will and he went to the city to run his own life and he squandered it all away. He became so destitute he wound up feeding the pigs and eating pig food. And that's about as low as you can go. He came to his senses and thought, I, this can't go on. I could perish here of hunger. So he headed home with a rehearsed speech about working for his dad as a servant, since he had blown it as a son. But as he approached the house, he was surprised to see his father running to him, arms wide open, love in his eyes, welcoming him back home, putting the best robe upon him and a signet ring, declaring him again his son. That's what happens when a lost son or daughter comes back home to the Heavenly Father. The door is open. The Father is waiting for you. And you might be thinking to yourself as you hear that story, Oh, how I wish it were true. It is. God is just. He punishes sin, but he is gracious and has provided a way back to himself and eternal life with him forever. I encourage you today, place your trust in Christ and join the hosts of others who came home and received grace in singing now Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amen.
Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You've been worshiping with the internet and radio ministry of the Christian Crusaders. We pray you have discovered God is just and gracious, and you too can find amazing grace. Christian Crusaders is a nonprofit ministry supported entirely by the gifts of our listening audience. Many people choose to support this ministry with a memorial gift, which is given to remember a loved one or friend. Address your gifts to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. We are thankful for your prayers and financial gifts. We invite you to visit our website at www.christiancrusaders.org. Our website is extremely easy to find important links to podcasts or rebroadcasts of past programs. And it's a safe, secure, and convenient way to use your credit card to support this ministry. We are happy you chose to join us today, and we look forward to worshiping with you again next Sunday. Conducting our service was the Reverend Steve Kramer speaker on Christian Crusaders, now in its 85th year of broadcasting biblical truth.